Welcome to today's episode of TAFCAST. I'm your host, Chloe Wozniak. In today's episode, we're talking to Nita Youssef, a PhD student in food science, and Amy Gage, a PhD student in ecology. Nita and Amy are both TAs of the Rutgers General Biology course, and Nita is a head TA for the course. If you didn't listen to the last episode, I encourage you to pause this episode and go back and listen to that one. In the previous episode, we talked to Dan and Christy, two of the course coordinators for general biology, about the course transformation and what the structure of the course looks like today. In today's episode, Nita and Amy give us more in-depth information about what's going on on the ground. I asked them about their roles as TAs, the training provided as part of being a TA for this course, and some advice that they have for TAs from things that they've learned in their time as a TA. Let's get started. To get started, could you tell us a little bit about your background and your current role at Rutgers? Sure. Um, My current role at Rutgers is a graduate student. I'm working on my PhD in sensory evaluation of foods um, as part of the food science uh, degree. Um, For my background, um, I just never thought I would be in food science. Um, I graduated with a major in biology from Manhattan College um, in 2012. And then I fell into this position at PepsiCo um, in which I was a qualitative researcher, um, research assistant, I um, I should say, at PepsiCo. Um, And that just opened up this whole world of consumer research for me. Um, And I liked it so much, I decided to go to grad school for it. Um, So I came to Rutgers in 2014, where I got really lucky with with, um, a teaching assistant position with the general biology course. Um, And I've stayed with that course ever since. So I spent a few years as a TA then um, the assistant had TA, and I think in the last probably couple of years, um, I've been the head TA for the course. Um, I'm a fourth-year PhD candidate in ecology and evolution here. This is my fourth year as a Gen Bio TA. Um, for my research, I study plants that grow on coastal sand dunes and how those plants could best be used in restoration of sand dunes to protect inland communities from destructive storm surges. Um, My background, I studied biology and art at a small liberal arts school. Um, I have a master's degree in landscape architecture, and I spent a few years doing um, on-the-ground ecological restoration work in the woodlands of Central Park. Um, And thinking a little bit about what I'm going to do after grad school, I've started um, an ecology-based landscape design business, and my goals are um, creating and improving habitat for local wildlife. And one of my specialties is actually in native plants that are both delicious for humans to eat, but that also support vast food webs. Um, so if anybody's interested in that sort of intersection between people eating plants and animals eating plants, um, you can check out my Instagram at Graze the Roof. Now, to lay the foundation for the conversation a little bit, um, could you talk a bit more about what your role is within uh, general biology um, as far as being a TA for the course is concerned? Well, I guess I'll start because yeah. there are more TAs. <laughs> <laughs> TAs. We, um, and one of the things that we do is 
I think there are 26 of us this semester, something like that. And so we have to basically be interchangeable. So um, any student is getting the same level experience with any of us. Um, So that means we have to put in a lot of work becoming the same level of TA. Um, And then if someone's sick, we can cover and, and switch pretty seamlessly. Um, So what I do as a TA, um, my biggest role is in classroom management. Um, And then a big part of that is encouraging student buy-in. And that goes in hand with easing that transition from high school into college and looking at the methods that students used and relied on and were very successful in high school that we know is not going to work for them because of the quantity of GV material and also the types of exam questions. Um, While they might have a lot of experience with multiple choice exams, the types of questions that they're seeing in GenBio are very new and very challenging. And so trying to ease that transition is is a lot of what I do. Um, There's very little grading for a GenBio TA to do, um, which is great. Uh, but we don't get off that easy because all of the time that we would spend grading is actually spent um, mastering the material that's in the course. Um, we have to be the very best student. We have to understand the information backward and forward um, because we're not going to just explain things to these students. We have to be able to break a concept down into tiny little pieces and ask leading questions of the students so that they can figure out that information themselves. So in order to do that, you have to know it really well. Um, Let's see, so what else? Oh, another part of the thing that we do um, that initially gets a lot of gripes um, from uh, the TAs is that we are attending all of the lectures. Um, And that goes hand in hand with the mastery of the material. But um, additionally, we are an important model for the undergrads to see. So we don't just like go and sit in the back. We have to sit in the middle of the lecture hall and we have to model good note-taking behavior. Um, We have to sort of, if there's students around us that are being distracting and disrupting, we can kind of say like, hey, knock it off. Um, And so that's an important role that we do each week that does take up a lot of time um, that we don't have to spend grading, which is which is nice. Um, yeah, I think that's it. We, we'll talk more as, as things go on, but those are the key steps. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I ask myself that question every day. What am I doing? Um, so I'm, I'm sure Christy and Dan previously talked about the structure of how many TAs and head TA team you know, how, how that goes. Um, but just to reiterate, there's about, and my numbers are going to be a little off, um, but there's about 2,000 students who take the general biology course every year. So that's divided between um, Gen Bio 115, which is the first um, part of the course, and the second one as well. Um, these students are divided into sections of about 25, 26 maximum. Um, and each section is a workshop section. So this is not a recitation, it's a workshop. Um, and each section is led by a TA who's a facilitator and it's not going to reiterate or re-lecture the material. 
So for the entire structure of the course, you have about um, 26 TAs in the main course, which would be if it's fall, um, then you have the first um, part of the course, Gen Bio 115. Um, and there's also um, uh, the off-sequence course, so Gen Bio 2, and then there's about four TAs who lead that program as well. So in total, you're looking at about 30 TAs a year um, uh, or each semester, and each TA is responsible for managing three workshop sections. So in order to make sure that all of the TAs across the board are doing the exact same things, they have the same course materials, they have the same plan of action, um, and they are going to be managing their classrooms um, or workshop sections the same way. We have um, the TA leadership team in place, which is um, you know one head TA and two assistant head TAs. So what my um, responsibilities look like are, to me, are they're, they're really interesting because they kind of connect with my um, research and my career as well. Um, so every week, um, once or twice a week, I would meet with the assistant head TAs and the faculty uh, instructors who teach the course and the course director and, um, to go over the plan for the following week. We, um, we sit in a room, we um, discuss the agenda, all of the course materials we're going to be sharing with the students that week, what are we going to be doing with the TAs, um, every single thing um, gets reviewed, discussed, um, and the whole goal is to go in with the plan when you present that material to the TAs. We try to anticipate the um, maybe the issues that we'll have or where the students or the TAs might get stuck as, um, as well. But the main idea is to um, be prepared before you present the plan of action to TAs. Um, and then... Uh, the following day, we meet with the TA. So we have a prep every week in which we um, run the run the workshop as it would be run with the students. Um, and one of the goals over here is continuous improvement. So I mentioned earlier that um, I work in sensory evaluation of foods. Um, as a sensory scientist, we use human beings as instruments. And um, in consumer research or in product research, you know, both accuracy and precision are really important when you're using human beings as instruments. Um, so there's never really um, anything that I'm doing that I'm not thinking about. How can I improve this process? How can I change this for it to flow better, to be, for it to be smoother? Um, and one of the jobs I have as a head TA is to be looking for those kind of opportunities. How can we make our curriculum, and this is really Christy and Dan's job, you know, talking about the curriculum, but we really are a flat team. How can we improve the material we're presenting to the students so, so they understand it better, but that it also fits into other courses? How, are, how can we design our activities so that um, it's going to facilitate learning and not just, you know, rote memorization, but it's actually going to give students the tools on how to effectively learn. Um, so I would say, um, you know, if you exclude the routine work, so building questions or building um, think-pair-share type of questions or assessment materials, the, the way I see my job is the continuous improvement of materials, of our processes, 
Um, and lately, as we've gone through, you know, various iterations of the course and year after year, we find something to improve upon. I find that we've kind of made the process so smooth that now we actually have time to um, look at other issues that maybe we couldn't look at before. For example, professional development of RTAs or team development within. So the TAs are working within teams. How do we um, equip them with tools to be better uh, team leaders, but also work better uh, as a collaborator? So it's it's so part of my job now where actually I want to take my job is to also focus on some exercises that will make our um, TAs not just teaching assistants, but also um, apprentices, so teaching apprentices, you know, if they want to go into academia afterwards. Did I capture it? Yes. I'm sure I'll come up with something more. <laughs> yes, and I, I would have to say that Nita is actually really fantastic at her job. Um, it's been amazing over these four years seeing the way that the course has transformed and how much more training is offered those TAs. Um, and one of the really great things that they've done throughout, and which might be partially responsible for some of these constant evaluations, is at our teaching assistant prep meeting that we do each week, um, we always fill out little papers that we mm -hmm. give to the head TAs that say, um, what are the topics that your students struggled with? the most and what are the things that you struggled with the most this past week and I've seen those little comments make their way through the head TA team they get um, passed on to the directors of the course and I've seen changes made you know if if students are constantly struggling with the endosymbiotic theory I've seen that take shape in the way it's presented to the students and also the way that we work with that material in workshop. And it's been really great to see that in countless topics, how that's evolved over time. And, and they're not a lazy group. They just keep making <laughs> GenBio better and better and better. Um, and it's been really great too, because they foster an environment where before I said that we need to be interchangeable um, as far as the face that we're fronting towards our undergraduate students. But once we're as a team, we don't feel interchangeable. We feel heard and valued and they take our feedback and our suggestions and they, they implement it into the course to make it better for everybody. Um, so it's a pretty, it's amazing that it works with all these people. <laughs> I'm happy you feel that way. I feel the same way. You know, it's really, um, so as I'm uh, getting my degree in food science, um, some of the food scientists go on to become product developers. And I always say that I think that is such a rewarding job to be in because you're you're working on some product that's probably going to be on the shelf in the market very soon and you get to see your baby out there in the world performing. Um, you don't always get that kind of validation and satisfaction if you are in academia because often your projects take a really long time to you know get executed and be completed and a lot of times that's going to be academic research and maybe you won't see that so i find that being in the gen bio program um it works for me because we work on material we work on changes and improvements that we see implemented every single week 
every you know every semester we're constantly improving we're constantly changing ourselves to you know meet the demand of the students meet the demands of the job market as well so where we focused a lot on um, you know helping students learn um, I think that we're I hope it's not too much to say, but this is my vision for, you know, for my peers and for myself as well, that it's, it can transform the TA's experience and their, you know, futures as well. I think that being in the GenBio um, program, you really can take this position wherever you want it to. Um, of course, you know, you're going to be working with the material and, you know, learning how to work with that and how to facilitate but this kind of job is going to be valuable for you regardless of whether you're going into academia or in the industry. So you both mentioned these weekly meetings, weekly training sessions. I'd be really interested to hear a little bit more about what goes on during those meetings. So you walk in and what exactly is happening? Do you want to? Uh, sure. Or- um, I'll let you fill in any gaps because oh, yeah, sure. you actually, it's it runs sort of like workshop, but instead of having undergrads as the ones doing the work, it's the TAs that do the work and then the head TAs um, facilitate that section much like they I facilitate my other sections. Um, so I get to sit in the seat at, as the student and sort of observe the weekly activities from that perspective and that informs how I will present the material to my students um, the following week. It's Thursday evening. Um, it's from six till nine, which is the only time that you can ensure that everyone's schedules will be free. Um, but it's sort of, it has this really nice atmosphere because it's in the evenings, everyone always brings dinner and we're sort of breaking bread and having this sort of camaraderie experience, which is, is very pleasant. Um, and it's a great time for us to sort of like get centered. Um, so we get in, we will fill out that little piece of paper about, you know, the material that the students struggled with. We'll pick up an agenda that outlines our um, goals for the day and the important information that we're going to need to um, convey to our students. And then we basically run workshop the same way. So we will do um, clicker-based multiple-choice questions um, that are review and practice questions. We will go over an outline um, of important information and tying that information to um, outcomes and organizers and where that will fall in the notes. Um, But yeah, I think maybe I'll talk about it more like when we're discussing the student role, but I'd love to hear your take on things because one of the things that makes it take longer is that we are doing these awesome professional development activities um, which really enhance and give us the tools that we need um, to facilitate our sections. Yeah so at its core our prep time is to make sure everybody is going to be aligned Um, all TAs understand what they will be doing with the students the following week so at its core if you you know strip away everything else this is an opportunity for you to um, to really figure out plan of action, um, evaluate how prepared you are um, before you actually facilitate the workshop with the students. So um, I just want to go over the 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 flow of workshop first. So when students come in into their workshop, they're supposed to 
have already um, learned the material that was covered in lecture the previous week. So each workshop will cover about two lectures. Um, when they get in, they answer a set of practice questions. Um, they work with their bias form, which I, I think Christine and Dan have previously talked about. Then they get into making organizers, which is actually working with the material um, and uh, then presenting it, answering follow-up questions on it. And finally, at the end, they do something called reality check. Um, it's really uh, an opportunity for them to evaluate how prepared or not prepared they are. Um, so if the exam were tomorrow, how, what is their level of prep? We do all of the same activities at prep. We want to run it exactly the same way um, um, as it as we would with the students, and we do the same with the TAs. So like Amy mentioned, when the TAs get in, um, the one thing that we would do differently, or the couple of things that we do differently is that first we ask them about how did their week go? So what were the challenges? What are the issues? Um, and then we get into practicing for workshop. Um, but along the way, we we factor in enough time so that if there are any questions, if there are if we see any problems with the questions we're going to be asking the students, we we build it enough time so that we can capture that information and that allows us to fix that before the material goes um, in front of the students. So at its core, it's an opportunity to practice. But especially this year, what we have been doing is. Um, working on some team exercises where so um, and this is something we have all also done in part with the students as well so one of the um, important um, elements of being a student in GenBio uh, being a successful student in GenBio is to learn how to work well in a team because there are team activities every single workshop and your deportment grade factors that in. So if you are just not participating in your team, or if you don't know how to, your deportment grade might actually suffer because your participation is also um, evaluated. Um, but I think it would be unfair to grade students negatively if they just have never been given the skills um, to work in a team. So in the beginning of the semester at PrEP, we address those questions. We have some team exercises in which, for example, we'll ask questions like, what are, what go, what differentiates a group from a team? Um, so that students understand that, you know, it really can be made of the same people, but a team is functional in which every single unit has a function. Um, so we do activities like that. And then we asked um, them questions like, how um, does an effective team work? What are some of the behaviors of effective teams? So that um, they also learn what goes into being a great team. So, so because we want to do, with, do these activities with the students, we do them first with the TAs because TAs also work in teams. Um, so, uh, so the reason I'm bringing this up is because in addition to practicing with the course material, course content, we work on the soft skills as well that are needed to be effective TAs and also effective students um, so that they can have a successful time in GenBio. What, what did I miss? I'm sure there's, there are other team activities as well. Yeah. Um, um, before I lose this chain of thought, you had a, Amy actually had um, 
really great feedback um, in when we were doing a de- exercise on de-escalation techniques. Yes. So if you want to talk about that. Um, so they're very respectful of our needs as TAs. And, and so I think some there were some concerns about how do you actually deal with like a really disruptive classroom or like a level of disruption where you might want to call campus safety or the police. Um, and sort of there are methods of de-escalation, which because of my background um, working out in the field, I've, I've had to practice and implement, unfortunately, um, that what was really great was that it seemed like there were some issues going on in the classroom level. And the TA team really quickly whipped up and implemented this really quick training session on these techniques. Um, but it was like an active classroom. We, we had a very discuss- a big discussion and we were able to sort of disseminate that information on the fly um, to really help the TA students be prepared. And little things like um, keeping track of your body language, um, lowering your voice. So if someone's yelling at you, uh, don't yell back. You can actually take a step towards them and and speak quieter because it's really goofy if someone's yelling and then you're basically having a soft whisper. They'll actually match your volume. Um, And then once a person stops yelling, the physiology within them will sort of slow down a little bit as well. And that can help de-escalate things. And just sort of um, acknowledging another person's pain and feelings and, and sort of having a, a helpful discussion. And, and they, they were really respectful of our role as a TA and, you know, talking about um, it's obviously not our job to de-escalate a situation, but um, it's the tool that you hope you never have to use. Um, and uh, little things like it's really helpful when talking with students, like how to, how to mirror empathy. Um, I think a big role that I, that I overlooked as the gen bio TA, um, we might be the only person on campus that knows this freshman's name. So coming to a new school, a big school, um, feeling like you're just your RUID number, um, can be really challenging. And so, we are the person that meets with them once a week and sees them and can flag certain behaviors. You know, if you have a student that is always really attentive and talkative and, you know, one week they're just completely shut down, it's my job to sort of check in with them and say, hi, I just noticed that you're not participating that much and I'm here for you. And, you know, I'm not going to counsel the students, but... um, being a person that can help them navigate this big system and point them in the direction of who can actually help them. So, you know, when to point them towards their academic dean, when to point them towards CAPS, um, sort of, you know, looking out for, for their behalf because the most important thing is that all of these students survive <laughs> and continue. And, you know, whether or not they stay bio majors or go on to be a doctor or not, we're setting them up um, to be prepared for the rest of their academic careers, but we're also teaching them those these soft skills that are going to set them up for the rest of their careers um, in graduate school, in medical school, out in the real world, just being a human being. Um, so I think last week, Dan and Christy talked about how they keep editing and removing material from the curriculum, but what they didn't mention is how much they're adding. 
they're really packing in a lot more beyond general biology. They're teaching students how to learn and how to teach themselves and how to tackle problems that seem really huge and scary and break them down into little digestible pieces. Um, and that's something that just as I've facilitated these workshops, it's helped my own learning process and my own research and my own role as a human being. Um, so, so that's been really valuable as well. Yeah. I wonder how our listeners are actually going to feel about the Gen Bio chorus after, you know, believe me, we're not paid to actually say <laughs> any of this, but um, I agree with what Amy said because I went to a really tiny liberal arts school. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we had 1,600 undergraduate students, maybe. And so it was, in, in a way, it was like, you know, like a large village or a large high school. Everyone knew everyone. If I didn't see somebody for two days, it felt like a really long time. And so when I came to Rutgers, it felt like this giant place and no one knows anyone. And um, there was just, in a sense, not really... Um, I mean, I didn't find that community. Um, it took me a really long time to get to learn about people and who my peers were. So I think that my own experience um, kind of translated into into um, me trying to do um, something uh, with the TAs in the Gen Bio program when it comes to soft skills. So, so the so. So my, from my experience, I could tell that, you know, no matter how smart you are, no matter how many, like how, how great you are at learning material, or if you don't have a good community around you, ultimately, I feel like it will show in your work, it can affect your work. And I think as grad students, a lot of us experience that at one point or another, where you really feel like you are really alone in your research project, and you don't know where or whom to go ask for help. Right. So so building that sense of community has always been really important for me to me. Um, and I kind of wanted to bring it to Gen Bio as well in, in how I personally contribute to it. I want to set up my peers for success. We expect our students to be successful, but we are giving them the tools that are going to set them up for success. So it's just like that, we want to do the same with the TAs. We want to set them up for success. So of course, that means, you know, going to lecture, learning the course content, learning how to um, facilitate workshop, but also the soft skills that go with it, you know, and like Amy was mentioning, de- de-escalating a situation with a student who might have some sort of crisis going on outside of workshop. Um, that is really key to it, showing uh, students come to this big school and often they don't know that they have a community where they belong. So um, so like Amy mentioned, it's really important um, that they have someone that you know they know they can ca- sort of count on. Not that it's, we are expecting our TAs to sit down and counsel them, but just knowing that's, that there is someone in their support system is really important. And not to sound too complicated, kumbaya here. (laughs) Um, But uh, that's something that we also convey to our students. So um, when I assign teams at the beginning, I say, Gen Bio is going to be really hard. The information is going to come at you very quickly. Um, There's going to be a lot and it's going to pile up and soon 
everyone feels overwhelmed. This is an important to remember that you're not alone in this feeling. And right now you're sitting at a table with three other people that are going to have that same feeling. Um, and so I encourage them to exchange contact information and do outside practice groups with each other. Um, and then halfway through the semester, I switch up the teams and I assign them randomly again. Um, and have them go through that whole process again. Uh, one year I did it three times and that was, that was too much switching around. Um, I didn't see the teams. I think each team only worked with each other three times and that wasn't enough to like foster that relationship. But I, when I have the team switch halfway through the semester, everyone then gets, um, let's see, each student is going to have six other students that they can rely on for the rest of the semester, and then also in GenBio 116 the following semester, that they can just build on and have these resources, whether it's not, I got sick and I couldn't attend that lecture, could you please send me your notes and help me catch up, or let's practice these particular outcomes together. Um, I think that's an important system to how, teach them how to rely on each other and how to build that community moving forward is really valuable. So we've talked about what the students are doing during workshop uh, and the fact that that's being modeled in the weekly sessions with, with the TAs, the meetings, the trainings. Um, but I, I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about where, what is the role of the TAs in the actual workshop? I mean, so the students are, they're doing their organizers, they have these assessments. Um, what are you doing while they're working on their organizers. Yeah, I, at the risk of like talking too much and having this go long, I will I will explain this in, in as much detail as possible, like I would be explaining it to someone that was terrified to start facilitating their first workshop. So let's like at the very beginning, um, you have gone to the lecture, which I'm using the wrong terminology. <laughs> we call them class meetings. They are not lectures. Um, uh, so I have to fix myself on that. So you've gone to your class meetings where you've heard the information presented, just like your students have. Um, sometimes I think it's helpful to read and examine the figures in the textbook um, to reinforce uh, what was given in that class meeting. Um, sometimes they'll put up a diagram on the board for a few seconds. And the best thing for you to do is just write down that figure number and know that I need to go back to my textbook and spend like 20 minutes with that figure and really, you know, redraw it out myself and really understand what all of these arrows and in gen bio, like in biology textbooks, everything's always like a beige blob. (laughs) (laughs) Figure out what is this blob representing? Um, (laughs) What is this teal blob um, in this particular diagram? Um, And so really be prepared in that way. And then you've done enough work to be ready for our Thursday prep meeting. So now you're going to work with your team and sort of figure out how am I going to make this organizer, which is our fancy word for a drawing on a dry erase board that um, takes the information that's sort of in a list format, maybe something that you've done in outline form from the lecture notes, um, 
and change it around so that it um, makes more sense spatially. So you can have arrows connecting key terms, make a flowchart that conveys like the processes moving forward, or you can take several different concepts and compare them with different categories in a table that chunks that information and figures out in which way are these things similar, in which ways are they different. Um, and so you do that with your team and then you're prepared to a degree and you might want to take another practice, you know, before you're over the weekend, before your next book. So now you're ready to walk into your classroom. Um, you will have also prepared by printing out your roster. Um, you will have your students' names um, in front of you in the roster so you can keep track of participation. Um, I assign them uh, seats and teams uh, just so that I can have their names spatially in the classroom and I'll draw a little diagram of them sitting um, at their table. Because like I said, we are probably the only person on campus that knows this student's name. So we really need to know that student's name. And that can be really challenging when you have 75 students and you're tired and you spent all morning in the greenhouse and, <laughs> you know, so-and-so has changed their hair and now they're wearing glasses and, and you know, you need to know their names um, because they need to know that someone values them enough to know, to know their name. Um, so that's a lot of work is just doing that. And there's a little um, Sakai site you can actually click on their name and there will a little picture of their student ID will show up. So you can also, if you're really nervous, you can have that with you as well. Um, you arrive 20 minutes early to your classroom. Um, if you, if something's wrong with the computer or if you forgot your key or something, you just need 20 minutes to be ready to set up the classroom to be ready to go. But you also need to be there 20 minutes early just so that your students can see you there and you're just open and receptive and they can ask you questions or they can chit chat about anything you you just need to be uh open for that for that um and so being early is important um then everything that happens in workshop is pretty smooth our ta team will make the powerpoint for us so all we have to do is make sure we've uploaded the correct one um we can run it and for the practice questions that are um, multiple choice exam style questions we just push a button and they run automatically um but there is the three first ones are multiple choice review questions that are any material from previous workshops and then there's three team practice questions um, that the students will first answer by themselves individually, and then they'll have an opportunity to discuss it with their team. And then um, they can have like sort of like a brief discussion with the class about that. So you need to be looking at those questions ahead of time in order to understand what the correct answers are and how to lead students without telling them the answer, how they can um, get to that correct information. And then a lot of this is, um, as far as getting them to understand the importance of all these sort of strange new things that we have them doing. So we have this thing called the BIOS form. And the BIOS form is fantastic. It's an organizational tool that takes all of the key concepts. So when they were in, in the class meeting, they saw Roman numeral one was this topic, Roman numeral two was this topic, and then we had some subtopics A, B, and C. And so they actually have to take from their notes and put that into this organizational worksheet called the BIOS form. 
they also are given at the beginning of each class meeting the list of outcomes. And so outcomes are the stuff that you need to know. So what do you need to do with the material and what style multiple choice question are you going to see on the exam? Is it going to be comparing and contrasting concepts? Is it going to be putting concepts in the correct sequence? Um, so they'll tie each major topic addressed in the class meeting to the individual outcome. They'll write it right next to that topic. And then right next to that outcome, we have what type of organizer, so what type of reimagining of that material on a dry erase board are you going to create and practice in order to answer this outcome correctly? Um, and so that would be like they'd write a flowchart or a table or a phylogenetic tree as that organizing information. Um, so the students, in order to be prepared for a workshop, will create that table before coming into workshop. And so the TAs, we make that table as well. It's, it's usually provided, but you have to be aware of it. Um, let's see. So that they do the multiple choice questions. They do the outline of the bios form. They also on their bios form are going to write down any key terms um, and connections between any other topics that they see there. And one of the things that's really cool is the first few weeks of workshop, I do a lot of work. I have to talk a lot. I have to explain everything and sell everything and say, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. Um, but today I have my 12th week of workshop um, this evening and I'm, I'm going to walk in and it's going to run itself. I'm not going to have to do anything. <laughs> it's going to be so great because we've we do the same schedule each week, which I think um, helps the students be successful. Um, so all I have to do to be prepared is just know the information of the GenBio material. Um, I know the students' names. Um, okay, so now what's, what's the next thing? After you make your outline with the students, they're going to make organizers. And this is the part where it can be tough um, because you want to just walk around and float between the tables you don't want to talk too much. You, you just hold your tongue until they pull you in. Um, and again, in the first few weeks, you're going to have to be saying, okay, well, when you make a table, you need an extra column for categories. And what you have is actually just two lists side by side. And then you explain why we chunk information into categories and how that makes the, the long-term memory work better. Um, and so you say that a few dozen times. Um, and you walk around, but you really just try to allow them to work, and then you just ask leading questions. And this is like sort of where the art comes in. If a student says, I don't understand what this means, then you can't just tell them what it means. <laughs> um, you have to say, okay, well, let's take a step back. What does this concept mean? Um, okay, well, I'm not getting a good response here, so let's break this question up into three smaller questions. So let's let's tackle the first part. Okay, let's let's see. Okay, that means that. And then so if that means that, then what do you think about the next thing? Okay. And then uh, so we've gotten these two things and I'll say, all right, so now you're telling me that you said that this, this, and this is happening. What do you think that means for the next step? And so you have to really like coax it out of them. But then as soon as like you get to see that little light bulb where they're like, oh, and, and sometimes it can be even more hand-holding than just asking leading questions. We can say, okay, so if you're really, really struggling, I'm going to ask you questions about how prepared you feel for workshop. I'm going to open up your notes and we're going to say, okay, can you show me in the 
notes that you prepared from your class meeting um, where we talked about this general topic. Okay, I see that there. Now let's take a peek. What does that say there? Okay, so what does you think that means for that? And uh, and did you open your notebook before coming to workshop? So um, how do we become prepared in order to be work effectively as a team? Things like that. So you, you never really give them the answer, but you can coax the answer out of them or you can walk them step by step on how they can be more prepared and how they can find the answer for themselves. And so that that can be a lot of talking in the beginning of the semester. But um, like I said, today tonight's going to be easy. Um, <laughs> and the organizers, they're basically just taking their... They're opening up their notes. Um, we say, here are two topics. Um, compare and contrast these mechanisms within this topic. And they will take the information and they'll break it up into categories. Um each team will have different categories, and then when we have a classroom-wide discussion, we can talk about why they chose those particular categories and what the difference were, and like maybe which the value in both of those different methods. Um, and they'll they'll do a couple of those organizers, and then we have a class-wide discussion where we'll ask um, questions uh, to sort of reinforce those key terms, um, key concepts, uh, talk about the material correct any mistakes that are, you know, un understanding. Um, there was one part about the discussions. Oh, um, classroom management. So when we have this open-ended organizer period, you're going to have some students that chew through it really quickly and some students that barely get through one. So trying to make up for discrepancies between teams in their um, speed and then also within a team. So there's like a lot of different things you can do. So between teams in the beginning weeks of workshop, I always talk about if you complete this activity before the rest of the class, here are a couple things that you can do and should be doing next. So I always have stacked like other activities ready to go. Um, we usually split up the organizers. Half the class will do one organizer, the other half will do another organizer. So I say the first thing you do if you run out of time is you can do the additional organizer. Good for you, that's extra practice. You're so efficient. Um, the next thing they can do are the, like active listening drills with each other where they just created a document um, with four people. One person will pick it up and be looking at it where the others will have to... Um, recreate that from memory and tell them like, oh, what, what did come next in that flowchart? And then the student, it's an active listening drill because the student gets to practice that same technique of leading questions. So the student themselves doesn't just give the answer to their classmates, they have to ask leading questions that will bring them to it. So in that way, we're also training the next generation of TAs. Um, and GenBio does a really great job of that because they have these breakout practice sessions that are actually led by undergraduate students um, that's you can register for outside of workshop, which is a pretty cool opportunity. Um, the other thing that they can do is they can, I've actually had students that were so quick that um, I had them write exam questions based on their organizers. So we do a lot of work of saying, this is the material you received in lecture. This is how you can organize it on the dry erase board. This is the outcome that you're practicing by making this organizer. So now actually try to make a multiple choice question that addresses these outcomes using your organizer. So they can 
work through that process backwards. And then once they get to the exam, they're like, I mean, I wrote this question. I've got this. <laughs> uh, so that's really great. Again, also within groups, if there's a discrepancy, sometimes I'll have a student that just seems really prepared um, and their classmates aren't. And so I will pull that student aside and I'll say, I see you, I recognize you, I acknowledge you. And I'll talk to them. Instead of just telling your teammates the answers, I'll give them the spiel about how you can ask leading questions. And so then again, that student gets the added skill of being a facilitator um, themselves and they can learn how to coax that material out of their their teammates. Um, and I talk about how every time you work with the information a different way, that's good practice. So when we take our notes and put them into a flowchart or a table, that's good practice. When you do an active listening drill, that's good practice. When you do a facilitated technique of pulling that information out of another student, that's good practice. Um, so I think that helps with their buy-in. Um, and also makes it so much easier for me because, again, the classroom will just run itself <laughs> um, after a while. Then the most important thing at the end is our reality check, where the students will um, evaluate themselves on how well they've known the material. And then, so if I'm advising a new TA, I'll say, sort of observe that, um, remind them that it's not graded and it's anonymous and that this is something that they're doing for themselves. But also you can kind of like, if one looks really good, you can give a student positive feedback or if one looks incomplete, you can sort of say like, this looks a little light, maybe we should talk about strategies for dealing with that. And then just upload your grades as quickly as possible <laughs> um, and move on from there. One of the things that we do is a shadowing program, which is really good. So you actually get to like, a new TA can just follow a more experienced TA around the classroom. They are they have to do it twice a semester, but they're open to do it as many times as they want. That was a lot of talk. <laughs> no, no, you. It was very <laughs> comprehensive, but I'm sure we could add more to it too. Um, that was really great. So it sounds like during these workshop sessions, the students are actually doing a lot of work that's actually why we call it workshop <laughs> <laughs> I love that. so and i feel like i ask this question every episode but it's such an important question and that is have you had any difficulties with student buy-in you know if a student comes in and says well you know i'm supposed to be here absorbing information you are supposed to be teaching me or therefore you should be lecturing or whatever why am i doing the work um and, and if you have had that challenge how do you uh, overcome it? How do you, how do you push back on that perspective of the student and, and show them that this is valuable? Um, I'll start and Amy, you can add. Um, yeah, so I, I do think we experience issues with student buy-in um, and I think um, we see that when students don't believe um, us when we tell them that everything that they really need to know in order to do well in exams is right in front of them. Um, so students want to get through the course. They want to get a great, great grade and they want to move on. Um, so the most common question that you'll get is what's going to be on the exam. Um, but if they use their bias form, the information is right in front of them. They every at the beginning of the semester, um, I think actually it's in either their course policy or the syllabus. There's a list of outcomes and outcomes. Outcome basically just means what can you do with the material? Um, 
they have a list of outcomes for the rest of the semester. So that information is given to them at the beginning of the semester. Um, there are tons of opportunities for them to practice with the material using questions and organizers. So we really mean it um, when we tell them that we've already told you what's going to be on the exam. So it takes a while for that to kick in, I think. Um, there's another kind of buy-in that I want to talk about that it's not really in your question. Um, just like the student buy-in, I think we have issues with TAs also buying in. Um, in Gen Bio, we make it very clear from day one um, that as a TA, you are not going to re-lecture anything. It is not your job to disseminate the material. It's the job of the course instructors. So what we want you to do is to facilitate um, student learning. And I think that also takes a while to sink in, probably by the mid of the semester or end of the semester, where they really understand that, you know, we want you to be a facilitator, not a lecturer. So I know I gave you more information than what you asked for, but it tied into the buy-in. I think for buy-in, the students are really rational. Um, when you explain why we're doing things differently and what the desired effect of doing it differently is, they can see that it actually works. Um, and the way that the course is designed is meant to show them often how it's working. They Instead of having the exams be the first time they're tested on the material, we have those practice questions each week. So they're able to see, oh, I put in such and such effort into preparing for workshop this week and making my organizers this week, and I got such and such grade. But then when I put in more effort, I got this grade. And so they can actually see that week to week and, and how things change. Um, and that's, that's really valuable to them. So given that you're both graduate students in biology, presumably at some point in undergrad, you had to take something like uh, this general biology course. So if that's the case, did you learn it in a similar format to how you're now teaching it, or was it different? And if it was different, can you uh, compare the two a little bit? Um, <laughs> I went to a really small school. We had uh, general biology one and two. There was a lecturer who walked through the material, and then we had exams. And that's it. <laughs> there were no TAs. There weren't any recitations or any workshops. Um, so I did not have any of, you know, of the resources, um, that general biology provides really. A lot of times, um, it, it frustrates me a little as well because I see students not doing so well in the course. Um, and it's a little bit frustrating because I really think we go above and beyond in providing so many resources to facilitate learning. But to answer your question, no, I did not have any. I wish I, I had that. I, I would have avoided a lot of issues back then. Yeah, I think I think similarly, I um, even though my degree's in biology, I took AP biology in high school. So it's been well over a decade since I've looked at general biology material before walking in the day on my first teaching assignment. Um, and that was just rote memorization. Um, and I was good at that. Um, but one of the problems with rewarding memorization with the old way that um, classrooms were run is that a large 
subset of the population gets left out and we miss out on brilliant doctors and researchers in the future just because they weren't good at a multiple choice test. When doctors and researchers aren't taking multiple choice tests, they're doing critical thinking and problem solving. And so if we can figure out ways to assess the students on that behavior while still having a multiple choice format, um, because grading would be impossible with a 2000 student class, um, that's really amazing. And I, I think as we see more active learning techniques in the classroom, we're going to see the demographics of graduate students change in the future because there was a lot of people that would have been left out in their early academic careers that are instead going to be put into this pipeline of higher learning. So to start wrapping up, um, I always like to ask if you have any advice for new TAs, um, and that could be a TA in general biology, um, but it could also just be a TA in, in any field. Your advice could be applicable um, across the board or very specific, um, but I just want to get a sense of your experience and you can share for the next generation. This is something that I learned. I really, It really made sense um, to me this year. Um, earlier this year, I was looking for internships. And um, I put my resume to a bunch of websites. And if you are in the job market, I'm sure you know there's plenty of um, websites that will review your resume for free. Um, and they'll give you feedback on, you know, what does your resume say about you? And um, one of the things that I learned was that you may be contributing a lot. You may be doing a lot. Um, but maybe your resume does not reflect that because often how we think about the job market and how we portray our resume is that, you know, is, is to make ourselves look good and to see what an employer can do for us, right? But I think a key question that a TA needs to ask is what can you do for your employer? So... So I'll, you know, so at the at the at the most basic level, a TA is a way for us to pay for our school, right? But it can be so much more than that. You know, this is what um, Rutgers is doing for me. They're paying for my school, but in turn, what can I do for Rutgers, right? This is a question that I think every TA should ask now, and also when later on after grad school they're going to be on the job market. Um, don't, all, don't just think about how this is helping you. Think about how you can contribute to the program. So, um, Because thinking that way, even though I think it was more subconscious um, when I became an assistant head TA and it is now conscious as a head TA, I think it really helped me um, in my career and also how I think about the course and how I see my... Um, how I see myself contributing to the course. So if there's a TA who's starting fresh, whether it's in gen biology or outside, um, I do think that you can take most jobs, you know, in whichever direction you want to, if you start thinking of how you can contribute um, to the larger system. So I don't know, Amy, what do you think? 
I think that's fantastic. I My tip that I always um, give to new TAs and, and constantly and trying to remind myself is to not fear the quiet. So leave empty space when you're speaking with your students so that they can fill it in. Um, often when you're in front of a classroom or even on a podcast, your adrenaline can get going and you can switch into ramble mode and really just try to fill that that empty, awkward silence. Um, but that works in two ways, because if you have a question that you address your class, or, or the, the common mistake that people that are lecturing do is they say, oh, is, are there any questions? And they go, what? Okay, well, moving on. And so how long are you supposed to count? I forget. There's some, someone wrote a paper, did some research about how long you're supposed to count. You know, it's like 10 seconds or something, maybe 15. We say, does anyone have any questions? And then let that empty space hang there for a second. And eventually an undergrad, someone, a student's going to fill that space and it takes a moment. Um, so leave them that space for them to fill it in. And it can be excruciating but it's really effective. I agree with that. In one of the other courses that I'm TAing for, it's a, um, it's a lab course. And so the expectation is, um, and this is really what I've learned from Gen Bio, which I'm taking to another course, is that students are going to come prepared um, and they will know the tasks for that day. And I do not spend time um, going over what we're going to be doing that because by now my students have learned that if they don't tell me what we're going to be doing, we're actually not going to get started. So in the beginning of the semester, it was excruciatingly awkward when I would ask them, okay, so what are we going to be doing today? And 30 seconds, even a minute of quiet, and I wouldn't say anything oh, until some so brave hard. soul <laughs> who, is, who can't take it anymore just starts answering and then other students jump in. Um, so yeah, I think it works. It's very effective. Oh, That's a great tip. It's the great one. And that reminds me of something with buy-in that I think is really helpful that Gen Bio does is the repetition. So each week the schedule is pretty much the same. So the students learn to expect what's expected of them. I think sometimes you have trouble with um, introducing active learning into a classroom um, when it's just a one-off where they've been doing lecture and, you know, it's very efficient. And then all of a sudden the teacher says, let's do an activity. And, you know, and, oh. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's not you know, explained and it feels slow and clumsy and, and, and that's, but when you start doing it each week, you get through that clumsy stage quickly and then they can really just, they know what they're going to do and they're going to work and it becomes extremely efficient within the third session. So one last question that I like to ask all of my guests um, who are graduate students is how you find time to balance your research and your teaching. Um, because as PhD students, right, our degree is about the research, um, but you're both clearly dedicated teachers and you care about teaching and want to spend time on that. Um, so how have you found ways to balance the two? So anytime you have to split your time away from your research in order to TA, it's it's going to take it away. I mean, I, it, it's great to have a fellowship and to be able to spend all of your time on research. Um, but that's not the reality for everyone. And that's the reality for pretty much no one moving forward. So I think this really sets us up for how to manage our time professionally when we will be our own PIs and running a lab, conducting research, but also teaching 
in an academic setting. Um, so learning how to juggle is really important. So that's why, even though I'm sometimes jealous of the people that don't have to teach, I'm really not because this is actually setting me up for more success in the future. Um, and what it takes away in time, I've actually gotten back twofold sometimes. Um, because GenBio is a big course, there are experts in all of the graduate fields in that room. So if you show up 20 minutes early to the prep meeting on Thursday, if I have a problem, as an ecologist, I'm always juggling many different fields. I have to understand physiology and entomology and plant science, um, chemi chemistry. And if I'm struggling with something, I can go over to the table and say, oh, hey, so-and-so plant scientist, could you ex help me think through this process? And so having access to that room of individuals on a campus, like most academic campuses are very sequestered. And general biology is this amazing mixing pot that has actually informed my research and, and given me greater opportunities. So that's been really amazing. It's also given back to me, um, I have undergrads that are helping me do my research now. One of them was a, TA, a student that I TA'd for a few years before. Um, they emailed me out of the blue, or they must be uh, applying for internships and feeling like their resume is lacking. And so um, now she's volunteering to help with some research that I'm doing. It's fantastic. Um, also for uh, my own academic career, it's been really helpful. All of a sudden I'm practicing what I'm preaching. I'm making organizers. I'm practicing those organizers. I actually did one of our gen bio organizers on my qualifying exam and watched my, um, uh, committee, their jaws dropped. They were so impressed. And I didn't have the heart to tell them that this is something that a gen bio student can do. But the life cycle of the angiosperm <laughs> is very complex. And to be able to draw that out from memory um, is something that apparently other graduate students can't do. <laughs> um, so it's, it's really given back to me a lot. Um, and so I'm super grateful um, for that. Um, I think that my experience has been, uh, I'm, I'm just so grateful for the experience that I've had with GenBio because having been a TA and then being mentored by other head TAs before I became the head TA, I really got to see many different working styles. And so, you know, there's, there's two ways to learn. You know, you can have a great manager or you can have a terrible manager and both teach you things so you can learn what not to do and you can learn what really works for you and how to be an effective manager well i've been really blessed with having a great team and a great manager um, in in the course and i've really taken a lot of those lessons into outside of gen bio into my own research um, so i work with consumers you know um, planning and executing consumer studies and even my own research. So um, as I work in consumer studies and, you know, um, designing my own experiments, I think that the kind of big picture thinking that being a head TA has, um, has instilled in me has really helped me in my own research, whether it's time management or not. So on a, on a typical day, um, I, I will have my phone with me at all times because, you know, if we have 30-odd TAs, um, anything could go wrong in the classroom. There could be um, 
a student could have a medical problem. Maybe you have to call in some help for that. Or you could have a workshop computer that could be failing or something's wrong with a material that we posted online. So um, in a way, I'm on call, really, um, during business hours. And that has taught me to anticipate issues and be proactive in dealing with them. And I think that is an amazing way of thinking for any scientist. So as I'm planning my own research and designing studies, I'm always thinking, how can I improve this? What if, you know, something goes wrong? How would I fix that? How would I jump on that opportunity? So being um, a TA and then a head TA, um, they have been very different experiences, but both have really added to my my training as a scientist. So yeah, it, time management management can be pretty difficult and hectic, but at the end of the day, I think that it really is giving me more than it's taking. So I'm really thankful for that. One of the main takeaways from this course that that GenBio um, does well and that we can apply as practical experience for TAs is just to constantly reevaluate and reassess and ask yourself, what's working? What's not working? And, you know, I could tell you, uh, make sure all of your teaching stuff is always early in the morning so that you have the afternoons for research. But everyone's different. You know, I, I like stacking my teaching obligations in the evenings so that I can focus on my research in the morning. Um, but if you just, at the end of every semester, you really take time to reflect on what worked and what didn't work and what sort of organizational schemes, and be honest, um, you can constantly improve and adapt from there. And there's not going to be one solution that's going to work for every TA, um, but just keep refining. Yeah. My thanks again to today's guests, Nita and Amy. For any resources mentioned in this episode, check out our show notes, which are on our blog at tapruckers.wordpress.com. For more information about the TA project, you can find us on the web at tap.ruckers.edu. To stay up to date with the latest TA project news, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing with a friend. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.